And there came a day, unlike any other, when Earth's mightiest heroes found themselves powerless, under a threat too formidable for them to comprehend. On that day, Thanos declared himself supreme ruler of the universe. Those stones are too dangerous for anyone! Suggestions on stopping the Infinity Gauntlet, Cap? Everyone has a weakness, even Thanos. It's just a matter of discovering it. Your passion for this state of a planet is your greatest weakness. Earth won't fall on our watch. Avengers assemble! <laughs> Avengers Spotlight. Hello everybody and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spataro. I'm joined by my usual two friends, Bill Robinson. I'm just a usual. And Mike Bailey. Friend. All right, Mike. Mike isn't one of our usual friends, but he's always welcome here, no matter what it says on my front door. <laughs> Everyone out. <laughs> that includes you, Bailey. <laughs> it's good. It's actually got the. Uh, it's got a picture of you with a with a circle around it and a line through it. <laughs> no Bailey's. No, it's, no Mike's, as, no George's. <laughs> oh, especially not that George. He's nothing but a troublemaker. <laughs> yeah, but I appreciate you guys having me on for this. This is uh I was uh I actually requested this. So Yeah, that was great. I have to say, you know, I, I, I appreciate you requesting it. Uh, you know, for what it's worth, Mike, uh, texted me and said, Hey, are you guys doing anything for, uh, you know, a score episode for Thanos and Infinity uh, War? And I said, yeah. He said, are you doing Infinity Gauntlet? I said, no, but I can be convinced too. <laughs> and here we are. Well, it's a, it's one of my favorite Marvel crossovers, because uh, Marvel Marvel does crossovers really weird. Like, DC's pretty formula... Uh, well, l- let me take that back. Before, like, House of M and, and all that, Marvel usually did uh, crossovers a little more non-traditionally than DC. DC would have, like, the main series, and all the books would kind of coalesce into that. And Marvel's like, nah, sometimes it's going to be off on its own, sometimes it's going to be in the annuals, Sometimes it's not even really going to have a central story like Acts of Vengeance, which kind of ran through the Avengers series, but then every title seemed to have an Acts of Vengeance crossover. And Infinity Gauntlet, because of the crea- one of the creators involved, I think was kind of supposed to feel like their Crisis on Infinite Earths, 
but because it's Marvel, it went into a completely different direction. Yeah, I wasn't collecting during the non-traditional crossovers that you mentioned, you know, Atlantis Attacks and uh, all of that stuff. Uh, you know, as I've said so many times, I had gotten out of collecting in the late 80s into the early 90s. Uh, and uh, this this was like right around the time when I started buying it again or buying books again. And the store that I had started frequenting at that time had all six issues for, I, I don't even know what it was, probably $15, something like that. So I, I picked it up in, you know, in a bundle and I sat down and I read it and I was like, you know, it, it was part of coming back to, to collecting this and, and the, the uh, death of Superman issues. And I've, but this is the one that kind of made me feel like I was home again. <laughs> you know, just all these <laughs> characters and just, you know, so well done. And I, I just really, really, you know, flew through this. And uh, this was definitely a big part of my getting back into uh, comics uh, as opposed to just having a mild interest in them at that point. Yeah, this was uh, – um, I was collecting during this time frame, and, and yeah, Mike's right with all the – they would do their – they would kind of switch up how they would do their their crossovers. And with this one, you didn't really have to get the other tie-ins, the quote-unquote crossovers. Everything was pretty much in the main book. Um, and I had forgot a lot about this, and now actually rereading this after seeing – the Infinity War movie, I'm like, oh, 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 okay. Oh, I could see a parallel of that. And there's some gruesome scenes in here that I had totally forgot about, especially what happens to Iron Man. Oof. And uh, poor poor Nebula throughout this entire thing, though I think that's oh, yeah. just revenge for her upsetting my wife. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I read this much after the fact because in 91 it was mainly buying the uh, Superman titles and the uh, in 97 or so I bought a friend's comic book collection and this and like the Silver Surfer issues and the Doctor Strange issues uh, oddly enough Thanos Quest wasn't in there but like a lot of the aftermath stuff was as well like Warlock and the Infinity Watch and I was just really impressed not knowing anything about Adam Warlock or any of those characters going in Coming out, I felt like invested in them because I think Starlin did a good good enough job for people who may not be as familiar. Because when when Rachel and I watched Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two and there was that end credit sequence, and I went, "Ooh, Adam Warlock!" and she's like, "Who?" <laughs> and for I was like, "Okay, how do I explain?" And then I just I just got out Wikipedia and basically read her the entry because there's no way to break down Adam Warlock in like a saga cell. <laughs> Oh no! Mm-hmm. Or, or you, you turn him, you, you turn her on to Al's uh, podcast. <laughs> Let her listen to you know whatever seventy two hours of discussion. <laughs> so, but I just I was just really impressed that Starlin was able to kind of just on the periphery of the Marvel universe because I don't think was Silver Surfer a big title around that time, Bill. Um. Well, I mean, it went like a hundred and. 30 some odd issues total i mean i i was collecting it as it came out even though i was in the service uh i was keep keeping up with it as much as i could i mean it seemed to be a big title at the time i know it had uh for the longest time i think it had ron Lim as the uh, mm-hmm. and uh he did some good cosmic stuff 
Good, good, good. And I mean, I thought it was big at the time. I know it waned towards the end. Well, probably why it was canceled. It got a little silly. Um, but uh, no, nah, I think it was big back in the 90s. At least for me, it was. Yeah, I think I, I mean, it, again, this was a time I wasn't collecting actively, but uh, I think it was from everything I can pick up. And I think it took I think it stayed to be a fairly popular title until it got into around the you know issue 70s or somewhere around there. And it still stayed around for quite a while after that anyway. Mm hmm. Well, like one of the big things early on in the um, in the Silver Surfer run was that Galactus tried to eat all the elders of the universe and they gave him indigestion, basically. It was how you can sum up that, uh, you know, because he was looking for another power source, you know, the way to amp himself up. And, well, that didn't work out too well. This is plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. <laughs> that, that wasn't, I guess that wasn't the most original idea, though, because they had uh, they had done that in Fantastic Four around issue 176, I think it was. Well, yeah, he when he tried to eat the planet pop-up. Pop up. Yeah. which is where the impossible man comes from. And it gave him indigestion and uh, it seemingly it killed him at one, you know, for a short time. Uh, but he got better. He got better. <laughs> I feel not quite happy. dead. I'm Galactus. I just have this image of Galactus sitting like with the remains of Eon and, 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 and ego and, and infinity and like the, the grant, the, the, uh, collector and all that it's just like i can't believe i ate the whole thing do you remember those commercials yes <laughs> shockingly the- yes i can't believe i ate that whole thing you ate it ralph i can't believe i ate that whole thing no ralph i ate it i can't believe i ate that whole thing take two alka seltzer Alka-Seltzer neutralizes all the acid your stomach has churned out. For your upset stomach and headache, take Alka-Seltzer and feel better fast. Did you drink your Alka-Seltzer? The whole thing. I ate the gardener, but, it, you know, it was too filling. It was like a salad, you know. <laughs> well, it always sucks when you eat too much from the salad bar and you don't get to really enjoy the rest of your, uh, the rest of your meal. Mm-hmm. He ate the contemplator. Ooh, should I really have ate that? <laughs> so do we want to get into the synopsis and talk about the story, or we got something else to, to, to convince about before that? No, I just you know, I just can't emphasize enough how much I enjoyed this when I read it and rereading it. I it, I have to confess it it's been about whatever, three, four days since I reread it. I, I would have liked to have had a chance to reread it again today. But it really, I think it really holds up. And I think, you know, as we get into it, we're going to see why. I mean, I think the story is incredibly well put together, and I think the artwork is, even even though that we did have a uh, switch in the artists, I think it's impeccable. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I was going to, that was definitely on my list of notes to get into. But uh, just... I, I worked up a synopsis of kind of like the whole thing. I didn't want to go issue by issue by issue uh, simply because that, you know, with six issues that could take a while and then it would end up being another like Avenger spotlight series, uh, which, you know, not a bad idea, but not what we planned for. But uh, this is, this is my synopsis for the infinity gauntlet or dude, she's just not that into you. <laughs> Thanos was dead to begin with. There is no doubt whatever about that. 
The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Star Fox even signed it. Old Thanos was dead as a doornail. But then he wasn't, because comics. Death brought him back to correct an imbalance in the universe. Apparently, there are too many people alive, and Death doesn't like this. So she amps up Thanos' power and sends him out to do her bidding. The Silver Surfer witnesses this, and Thanos takes him on a tour of the universe, showing him how there are too many people alive, and resources, and a bunch of other stuff. And it turns out that Thanos is the ultimate climate change hipster, because he was going on about this before it became cool. Or warm, depending on you know what you want to believe. After this, and several other issues of Silver Sur Surfer, Thanos goes on a quest. He learns the true nature of the Infinity Stones, or gems, as we'll call them from now on. With Death's approval, or something like approval, because Death is like wallpaper. I mean, you can't just get, you really can't get a read off of her. Thanos journeys around the cosmos to gather all six of the gems. He encounters the Inbetweener, where he gains the Soul Gem, the Champion of the Universe, where he gets the Power Gem, the Gardener, who had the Time Gem, uh, that was Scott Gardner, by the way. Uh, the Collector, who had the Reality Gem, the Runner, who had the Space Gem, and finally the Grandmaster, who possessed the Mind Gem, which was more Shatner than um, than uh, what's his name from from Thor Ragnarok. Uh, so I'm just uh, Jeff Goldblum. So I'm just going to keep going on. Uh, with his lucky charms in hand, he, le he heads back to tell Death what he did for her, but finds she won't address him directly because now Thanos is apparently her superior. And it's at this point that I'd like to point out that Thanos, Death isn't into you. The Surfer tries to stop Thanos, but fails, and things get weirder when Mephisto gets involved and becomes the voice in Thanos' ear. This leads to the first issue of the Infinity Gauntlet, which was written by Jim Starlin and penciled for the few, first few issues by George Perez and later on by Ron Lim with Joseph Rubenstein and Tom Christopher as inkers. In the first issue, Thanos is still trying to get Death to love him and even builds a huge palace in her honor, which doesn't get the desired result. Thinking that if he finally does what he was brought back to do, things would change. Thanos snaps his fingers, and half of the population of the universe is gone. Meanwhile, Silver Surfer has crashed into Doctor Strange's Sanctum Sanctorum, and the two set about trying to figure out what they need to do. Also, meanwhile, Adam Warlock returns with Pip the Troll and Gamora, and after Gamora disappears with half the universe uh, that's dead, Warlock meets up with Strange, the Surfer, and Doctor Doom to assemble what forces they can to take on Thanos. Warlock buggers off to talk to a bunch of high muckety-muck galactic, uh, uh, galactic people like Galactus and Eon and Infinity, and they prepare to attack Thanos on Warlock's command. While all of that is going on, Thanos tries to make Death jealous by creating what he calls the ideal companion because Thanos learned everything he needs to know about relationships from teenagers. <laughs> the heroes, Strange and Surfer Gathered, strike at Thanos, but he uses the time gem to freeze them in place freeze them in place. Mephisto convinces him to turn off the god cheat code and fight the heroes on their terms. Captain America has a pretty badass conversation with Thanos, and Warlock uses this as his moment to get the surfer to steal the gauntlet, but Thanos dodges and turns the god cheat code back on. 
This is when the cosmic entities of the universe attack, and even Mephisto tries to get in on the action. Thinking he is one, Thanos projects what he what could be called an astral form, and Nebula, who has been near death this entire story, uses this as her chance to grab the gauntlet, and suddenly she's the ultimate badass. She banishes Thanos to space, but he's found by Doctor Strange and brought to Earth, where suddenly Thanos is working with the good guys, though for his own reasons. Warlock reveals that Thanos is all, was always going to lose because deep down, Thanos feels he's unworthy of the power. Thanos agrees to this and to help Warlock and crew, and they head back to fight Nebula. During the confrontation with Nebula, the Mad Titan, that's, that's Thanos, convinces her to put everything back to the way it was before she got the gauntlet, but she discovers too late that the Frogert 2 is cursed and suddenly is a near corpse again. <laughs> She manages to get herself back together before Thanos regains the gauntlet, and as the cosmic entities of the universe attack again, Warlock goes into the Soul Gem and causes a ruckus between it and the other gem, which causes Nebula pain, so she takes off the gauntlet, and Warlock claims it as his own. Thanos apparently commits suicide, and Nebula is taken in, and the other heroes are miffed that Warlock has the gauntlet, but he doesn't care. Sends them back to Earth. He travels into the future with Gamora and Pip, where they find an unnamed planet where Thanos is now living as a farmer. Thanos tells Warlock and crew that he's learned his lesson and living a quiet life will allow him to digest and incorporate the lessons he's learned. They take their leave, and Thanos contemplates Warlock's possession of the gauntlet and how he doesn't envy Adam, and that somehow he believes he came out ahead in this particular deal. The end. It was awesome. Excellent. And nice job of uh, synopsizing a very complex book <laughs> yeah, and, and making sense of it. There's a lot going on in this. <laughs> there really is. So, uh, like, like if I really synopsized it, like, issue by issue, it probably would have taken me, like, an hour to go through the whole thing. Mm. No, it's, yeah. Masterfully done. Okay, so, yes. real before I lose this thought, because I often lose thoughts. Um, ah, crap. So, now, I hadn't reread this in about 25 years until this morning. And as I was reading Thanos' dialogue in my head, I was reading it as Josh Brolin. Have you guys been doing that? Not really, actually. <laughs> I don't. I don't have Josh Brolin's voice in my head yet. Yeah, and, and and if I get Josh Brolin, I'm going to start like confusing him with Josh Brolin from Goonies, and that just that really just doesn't work for me. So uh, Thanos, uh, to me, he's just a very you know kind of a deep gravelly type voice, you know, with mm -hmm. a lot of gravitas. Yeah, I would say that's more or less what I do, and that's kind of always been the voice in my head. So it it, it hasn't really been influenced. I th I think actually Josh Brolin hit the voice that was in my head already. Mm -hmm. So it, so it kind of ha happened seamlessly. So I don't feel like I have his voice in my head. I feel like I have the voice I always had in my head. But, uh, I mean, I'll get into, we can get into some more details later, uh, specifics, but I love the characterization of Thanos in this. Mm -hmm. That, you know, first of all, he's power hungry and all that, but, but his ultimate goal, you know, your, your, your uh, subtitle of, you know, dude, she's just not that into you. Is just so point on because <laughs> yeah. his 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 understanding of love is that of a teenager. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Death. Yeah. Guess yeah. what? I, I created I this other one. She, Look looks, she looks just like me, and she's going to love me. <laughs> and, 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 hey, how come you're not watching what's make out? Look, she, she looks like a looks disco just like me. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it was, you know, it, it's pathetic and amusing at the same time when you when you look at that aspect of it and uh you know we, we've we've hit on that a few times with different shows that we've covered where you know these some of these characters i think i think most mostly on uh, listen to the prophets with the character of odo and his lack of ability to understand you know adult relationships because he's never had one uh, <laughs> and and i guess thanos is the same thing you know he's always been the spoiled child yeah, and it's it's almost like he's like Laura Flynn Boyle in the first Wayne's World movie, and and Wayne is death, and she's constantly like bringing guys in to make out in front of him. But I think you you kind of hit on another uh, another nail on the head with you know I am not super familiar with Thanos's background, but in reading the Silver Surfer issues that led into Infinity Gauntlet which I completely and totally recommend, by the way. There are a couple... There's a Return of Thanos trade paperback, which has, like, the first storyline in Silver Surfer and then the Thanos quest. Mm-hmm. But there's also... Uh, and It's something Marvel's been doing lately, and I think they're doing a really good job with it. The epic collections that they're putting out, mm-hmm. they have a couple different ones that are... That basically, between the two of them, you get all of the stories before, during, and after Infinity Gauntlet. And they really kind of, it really gave Jim Starlin a chance to kind of bring the character back and stretch his legs with him before getting into this. I, you know, I've never done any research. I get the feeling that the crossover aspect of this was something that was added later on. Well, I don't think the crossover aspect of this was nearly as prevalent as it was when they got to Infinity War and, yeah, and even more only, so Infinity Crusade. There was only six quote-unquote tie-in issues. Cloak Dagger, Doctor Strange, Incredible Hulk, Quasar, Silver Surfer, and Sleepwalker. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like a company-wide, and it was some you know, characters that were already involved in the main storyline itself. Although Sleepwalker wasn't. But, uh, now, and I wonder if that was... Uh, Chris Tyler's going to get mad at me for this. Uh, we just probably. covered that issue on um, Back to the Bins a couple weeks ago, too. That was but, uh, seven. I get yeah, a feeling that they may have wanted to bump up Sleepwalkers numbers. <laughs> oh, I think, well, I think absolutely. Was... And, and Chris talks about that, how uh, Sleepwalker kind of fell into be- becoming a, uh, like a, a, a team-up book for a little while, where they kept bringing in other characters just to try and bump up you know, Sleepwalkers' profile a little bit and hoping people would... Uh, you know, pull into it and say, well, we got to read that. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't catch on enough, and they ended up having to uh, eliminate it. The only real tie into that story was that um, the guy, the other half of Sleepwalker, uh, his human form disappeared. Oh. So, right. So Sleepwalker was out and about. And he was and being then, accused of of murdering him, wasn't he? Because didn't he sh- uh, did, wasn't he remember. in the house? I'm just remembering it from yeah, Hero's yeah. Synopsis. He was like in the apartment that he took off, and then he fought these four other guys that got created, and then he Chain pocketed gang. them away in the dream dimension. But then time was reversed. But then later they'll be released from the dream dimension because they were outside of regular reality and weren't reset with the rest of the reset that happened. Reset head when, hurts. <laughs> 
but it but it seemed in reading uh, the Silver Surfer issues and kind of getting to know Thanos's dad and Star Fox and all that that you're right he's he's royalty so he doesn't really have an idea how to interact with people anyways he killed his own mother so we're not talking about somebody that you know deals with the real world or the cosmos i guess in this case uh like other people would so it's almost like he kind of thinks he knows what love is and he's developed a crush on death so now he's just gonna end he's just gonna i like this do you like death or do you like it (laughs) no i i i just heard i want to know what love is i heard heard that too Thanos. I heard that in my head too. <laughs> you know, t- you know, Thanos would totally be into foreigner. Let's let's be honest here. Uh, just you're just as cold it. as ice. There is no sun. Or would you be into Megadeth? I think la- I think later on, yeah. But I think I think during the eighties, uh, before he you know died. Uh, he would have totally been into like you know the the contemporary rock and and Tell such. Me, a, it's me again. Of <laughs> <laughs> destruction. Oh, sorry. But on the other hand, Starlin really gives Thanos, and this is what I thought the movie did very well: is it actually gave him a personality. Yeah. Uh, you know, when, when there's an issue of Silver Surfer where he literally takes him around the universe, and at one point they're on Earth, and they're like, he's like, look at how they waste their resources. Look at how their planet is dying around them, and they just don't care. And then he tricks Silver Surfer into basically committing genocide inadvertently on this one planet by bringing a disease from another planet that the Denzians of the one planet didn't have any defense to. And it was just, it, it just, it just gave me a sense of, of who this character was in a way that if I, I think if you pick up Infinity Gauntlet number one by itself, Starling gives you enough information that you understand what Thanos is going for. But if you read all the stuff before it, especially Thanos Quest, which is a gorgeous two-issue prestige format series. Mm-hmm. I think you just get, like, the entirety of the story. So by the time you get to the end of it, it's just like, okay, all of this makes perfect sense. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And and I I didn't actually read the Thanos quest until years after I had read the Infinity Gauntlet. So it was like, oh, that's the background story, you know? <laughs> and, and it was – I read it kind of just anticipating – a prologue and it is that but it's more and it, it is it's it's kind of like you know hercules with the series of trials that he has to go mm-hmm. through and and how's he going to defeat this one and how's he going to get by that one and it's 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 very well done and it's one of the things i i really have virtually no criticisms of the movie uh but it's something they didn't do in the movie because with the exception of the soul gem he got all the gems just by overpowering his opposition. Mm-hmm. There wasn't any points where he had to be clever or creative or anything like that. It was still, and that's again not a criticism of the movie because I just think the movie was awesome. But Thanos Quest, you know, had the opportunity because of the format it was in to do more with it. 
Oh, the, how he gets the time gem is brutal. Like it's it, and it, it's this, there's this payoff at the end of the scene where it's just like wow, Thanos. There's a lot going on with is that. Thanos. One with the gardener. Yes. Okay. It's been a while since I read that, and I didn't have a chance to reread it for this. But yeah, that was a little brutal. <laughs> and and for me, as somebody who is not as familiar with the cosmic side of Marvel, it was a really nice like tour, basically, like an introduction on a, on a larger level with these characters that I you know I had no idea that there was a character called the Champion of the Universe. Oh, you need to read Marvel Two in One Annual Number. Four, I believe it is. But he was this guy that just wanted to hit Thanos. And Thanos, you know, outfoxed him. And just how he goes through the whole thing with the Grandmaster and with the Collector. And it's just, it gave me such an appreciation for the things that, and, you know, I, I'm going to give a lot of credit to Starlin, but I know Starlin's not the only one that dealt in the Cosmic Universe. But after... After reading Sean Howe's book, uh, Marvel, The Untold Story, I get the feeling that he cultivated a lot of it. Well, I think uh, what happened was Jack Kirby created Marvel Cosmic. Yes. Jim Stalin refined and perfected Marvel Cosmic. And then it kind of was in abeyance for a little, a little while. It just kind of laid fallow until Abnett and Landing came over and picked it up. And they did some awesome work with it as well. Oh yeah, the the whole annihilation. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, uh, they, they, they kind of revived it with the annihilation stuff and Guardians and all of that. And you could see from the movies, you know, their influence on that stuff. But I, I think those are the three, and I guess Abnett and Landing are two people. But <laughs> I'm I'm treating them as one for this purpose: is that they are the three major architects of the uh, Marvel Cosmic Universe that you have to kind of read to get a real feel for the development of it all. I mean, Kirby planted the seeds on a lot of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, I wasn't trying to, and I know you weren't saying that, but I wasn't trying to kind of dismiss Kirby. But it just seems like through the course of the 70s when Starlin was working at, uh, at Marvel, it was just like, you know, he introduced Thanos as kind of just like he wanted to do a quirky issue of Iron Man. And they're like, no, 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 you can't do that in Iron Man. You can't do that in Iron Man. So he just found other places to do it. And if you look at, looking at, like, there, there's a trade paperback out there that's basically Thanos versus the Avengers, which has his first appearance and a, and, and a bunch of his early appearances. It's just, it's not like everything happened in Captain Marvel or everything happened in Warlock. It's just like, no, it happened a little bit over here and then over here and then over here. And it seemed like every time... Marvel put a stop to it. He went somewhere else and started, you know, like, you know, you know, cooking, uh, you know, the mad scientist thing, you know, again and again and again. And I I don't think they were so much putting a stop to it as he was working on series that were kind of in their death throes and he'd take it over and he'd do some great things with it, but it wasn't enough. And I think it may have been just a little too quirky for the time. Mm-hmm. I think he was, a little, and, and I don't mean that as a negative. I, I'm saying he was a little ahead of his time, if that makes it sound better. Because uh, I remember getting it at that time, and you know, as like an 11 year old, and a lot of it was lost on me at that time. And then rereading it, maybe when I was around 14, and being like, "Oh, that's what he's doing." <laughs> 
yeah, man, I get it now. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he, he did some great stuff in, in Captain Marvel and then in Warlock. And then I, I don't know what Starlin was doing in between, say, Marvel 2 and 1 Annual number 2 and when he started this whole storyline. Because we, we do have a pretty big gap there, probably about seven, eight years. So for some of that, uh, he was writing Batman. He took over the Batman title. That's right. Well, he, he did he write the uh, the death of uh, yeah he wrote of death of the family yeah, yeah he that, did that write was, it that's that right was, that was towards the end of his run it was like basically around four fourteen he took over for Max Allen Collins who just wasn't doing a very good job uh, he it, the stories just didn't work but Starlin came on and in a, in a post Frank Miller universe wrote some very Bronze Age Batman stories. Uh, in fact, the first issue he did and the last issue he did kind of tie everything up because it starts with the serial killer that he doesn't catch. And in his last issue, which was uh, the issue after the, the end of Death in the Family, uh, is the culmination of that. And in between that, he... He did some interesting things with Batman. He made it, he said it very much in the 1980s because there, there's a storyline that I think is more famous for the Mike Zek covers than actually the contents of it called Ten Nights of the Beast, uh, which introduced the KG Beast. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, KG Beast. KG yeah. Beast! Um, and in there you have Reagan, you have Gorbachev. It's very, like, you know, 1987 you know, socio-political world. And then he does Death in the Family, and DC throws him under the bus, uh, which is what he told me, because I had a chance to meet him a couple years ago at Dragon Con, and I talked to him about Batman. Uh, and he was very honest, <laughs> which is which isn't always good, but sometimes is at least entertaining. Uh, he well, also a lot wrote, of times when these guys are honest, you could just replace that word with bitter. Yeah. <laughs> But no, but he just he seemed kind of cool with everything. But it was just very much like, you know, basically DC did their big, you know, phone a friend thing with killing Jason Todd. And he was in Mexico vacationing. And when he came back, they basically put everything on him instead of saying, you know, we did this essentially. And he also wrote The Cult with uh, Bernie Wrightson which was a four-issue prestige format series. Uh, that was a uh, that was a perennial around the time of the Batman films in the late 80s and early 90s. That trade paperback would always pop up when a new film came out. He had another series also. I think it was an indie publisher. I think it was called Cosmic Odyssey. Uh, no, that was DC. That was, oh, that, was DC? With, uh, that was him playing with Darkseid and the Andy Oh, okay. No, then that's, I'm thinking of something else then. Uh, Dreadstar? Uh, Yes, he was. You know what? I, I think I, I think I was I was creating an amalgam of Cosmic Odyssey and Dreadstar in my mind. That's what I was doing. Okay. Yeah, that was the epic, carry on um, <laughs> the the epic format, right? But yeah, that was that, that was Marvel yes. epic, and they even had a uh, graphic novel. Yeah, that was a that was a ad, house ad I saw a lot in the comics I picked up in the summer of 1984. Uh, there was a was it like a back cover ad, but it was a pretty big house ad for Dreadstar. Uh, 
still really have no idea what it's about. But I've had that graphic novel since it came out, and I still don't. I've never read it. (laughs) I've got a few issues, and I still don't know what happens in it. (laughs) But no, he kind of he kind of went over to DC, and it's and it's kind of interesting when you think of a guy that does a story like this and writes Silver Surfer. And, you know, just has, like, all of these grand galactic and cosmic ideas. And he's writing crime noir fiction with Batman. Yeah, that is a total, that's a a nice 180, really. But it's good stuff. And it's really good Jim Aparo artwork. Uh, But I will agree that maybe it wasn't exactly what Batman needed at the time. But Batman was so schizophrenic at that point anyways, because he didn't have a clean post-crisis reboot. So it really took like four or five years for them to kind of get their groove on with, uh, or for O'Neill to fit, kind of figure everything out. But there's a couple different trade paperbacks with that stuff in it. And I will totally recommend that as well. Cause it's just, it's just good Batman stories that are a little dated now because of, you know, Gorbachev. Well, I, you know, I've ranted on the show many times about uh, I don't like when they date comics by putting in current events or actual, you know, <laughs> actually coming in and coming right out and giving years and things like that. Uh, so, yeah, I agree. You don't like it when we date the show. Today is uh, May 6th. Well, be- because nine, we're not a show PM. that records and posts that weekend. It happens on occasion. But we're also, you know, sometimes we record and it doesn't show up on the I'm network just, for two months. I'm just getting your goat. Yeah, well, my goat is here and it's ready to <laughs> bite you on the ass. <laughs> but, you know, I I guess, you know, Warlock in this issue, he's not, or in this series, he's not your uh, point of view character. I think he's your Jim Starlin character. Mm-hmm. He's, he's the guy who knows everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. And just isn't sharing it all and saying, just wait, just wait, you'll see. <laughs> so it's almost like he, he's a substitute for Jim Starlin in the story. I'll, I, I'll agree with that because he's not, he is a protagonist, but he's not like the Silver Surfer in Doctor Strange. He is in this for a very specific reason. And the fact that he takes possession of the gauntlet at the end of the story is an amazing moment. But mm-hmm. I think it's also a moment where all the other heroes are like, whoa, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. This isn't what we signed up for. <laughs> what are you doing? Now, let, let me ask you something. Have you thought if you I don't even know if you've thought about this. Uh, I was just I just started to give it some thought now. It's not something I've really given a lot to. But do you think there's a point of view character? I, I have Venus. one. No, I don't think it's Thanos. I think it's <laughs> Mephisto. You know that that's that's actually a good. I, I choose that too because he is very. You know when he he came into it in Silver Surfer, and he's very much. And I'm surprised somebody uh, kind of suggested. I forget who it was on social media that maybe Loki would be the Mephisto character of Infinity War. Uh, they kind of took care of that yeah. really quickly into the film, uh, but. You know, he Mephisto is the the devil, literally the devil in Thanos's ear. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just kind of telling him what he wants to hear, but he's totally like, any second now, I'm going to grab that gauntlet and I'm going to have total power because I know what to do with it. 
and I've given them point oh 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 five percent chance of beating me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> the comparison to Crisis is only because of George Perez, uh, and he's only on the the book for a couple of issues, and 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 here's where some fans of Perez may consider this heresy. I actually prefer the Ron Lim issues. I like the Perez issues, don't get me wrong, but I think Ron Lim and Jim Starlin were like in perfect sync with how they did their stories. Uh, and I think Lim is very underrated as an artist because he manages to juggle a bunch of different characters. Now, you don't have the, 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 the panel layouts and the rubble and the kind of, you know, the things that Perez can do. But I think you have an artist that is just as good as his job and conveying what this story is. So I, 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 I won't go as far as heresy. Uh, I, I prefer the Perez work just cause he's George Perez. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I could see, I, I think the artwork is just great throughout, including all every issue. I don't want to say including the the Ron Lim stuff because it almost makes it sound like it's inferior. I don't think it's inferior. I and I don't think the change is particularly vexing. Uh, you know, sometimes when you, when you get a different artist in there, uh, the one I can think of offhand that that bothers people a lot is in the first run of the New Teen Titans, uh, Perez fell behind on his artwork, and they had a fill-in issue, and the storyline continued. It wasn't a fill-in on the story, but it was they had a fill-in artist, uh, and it was Kurt Swan did one issue, mm-hmm. and, and it bothers the heck out of some people. That's not the case here. The, the Ron Lim stuff is great also. Well, uh, you can kind of look, and, it's, and it looks like it's about partway through issue four, that they that they made the switch because if you look from the start to the to the end of the issue you can see the change and you can almost kind of see it right about in the middle where Ron Lim t- took over but it's not it's not a super drastic change like like going from Tom Perez to Kurt Swan yeah I, I think I think Lim has a a more I guess the example I'm going to use is Captain America because Perez's Captain America is much more uh, athletic or kind of like an acrobat, whereas Lim's Captain America is huge. He's I mean, a he's bodybuilder. Got, yeah, he's got a huge, he's got like a big thick neck and he's got the big chin and the star is huge on his chest. But Lim would go on to draw Captain America for a little while. And that's another reason why I think he's underrated, because he can do all the cosmic stuff. But then he does the straight-up superhero world of Captain America. And there was a Streets of Poison, I think the storyline was called, where Cap wants to get the super soldier serum out of his system because the late Mark Grunewald didn't really understand how it worked. Uh, He treated it like a drug, which Mm -hmm. it wasn't. Um, not really, but you had like this, this big, huge storyline that involved Daredevil and Black Canary, and there was a massive fight between the Red Skull and Kingpin. I got to think Black Canary was not in that. Not Black Canary, Black Widow. I'm sorry. That's right. (laughs) Just busting your chops. But, uh, (laughs) 
I, I think I think Lim's Thanos is very similar to Perez's Thanos. So maybe yeah. that's another way, way that it's uh, it, like the the change isn't as drastic as you might think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Perez stuff is definitely a little more detailed. Well, I mean that's one of Perez's just one of his things. Yeah, his claims his, one of his claims to fame. I mean, if you look, uh, I'm just, I'm just paging through it while we're talking about it, and you go to uh, the second issue, uh, the the two page splash opening. Oh, I guess it's actually the second with or third the plane? page of the issue. Uh, just with the plane and, and the cathedral, or is that Doctor Strange's sanctum? No, no that's a, that's a is that St. Patrick's? Uh, it says on Fifth Avenue. Yeah, I think it's St. Patrick's. Yeah. yeah it, it's just, I mean, you look at the detail work there. It's, it's just phenomenal. Yeah, and, that, and that's why I have a tough time comparing anything to George Perez and saying, oh, yeah, this, this is better than George Perez. But there's things that are as good as George Perez. <laughs> well, yeah, and when you go to the when you go to Strange's Sanctum Sanctorum, like all of the books on the bookshelf are distinct. You can't read the titles, but it's not like an amorphous, amorphous blob that's supposed to look like a bookshelf. It's not like it, a Vinnie Coletta bookshelf. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. I mean, you see the like the the de- the detailing on the on the bookcase itself, and everything involved with it. And uh, I just I now I just expect Wong to pop out going, "Y'all okay? <laughs> All right, I'm I'm gonna be in here. Y'all have fun." Well, you, well, you can count the hairs on uh, Strange's mustache too. <laughs> the one where he's blacking out. Well, like you said, the detail work is just terrific. Uh, and I, I liked. I think that Starlin had a good handle for giving everybody their own voice, mm-hmm. which is something I think gets lost a lot on on a lot of comic writers. I, I really enjoy some of the stories that Brian Michael Bendis has put out, but everybody sounds like Tony Stark from uh, the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe when he writes them. Yeah, he is definitely one of those people that is is so focused on the dialogue that it's almost like a Kevin Smith film or, or maybe uh, more appropriate would be Quentin Tarantino mm-hmm. where everyone's making pop culture references and everybody uh, has like a smooth way of talking. But here, you know, Dr. Strange does not talk like silver surfer does not talk like uh, Dr. Doom. Doctor Doom, who no one talks like Doctor Doom, and I but. think Doctor Doom is excellently portrayed in this. I, like I said, I think he got the characters down, and I think that's a big thing. Well, he brought a lot of huge egos together, uh, and 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 I'm going to include Strange on that because that's kind of Strange's thing is that he was a doctor who had a huge ego, and this is this is one of the areas where I think the cinematic universe didn't go far enough. Because he was arrogant, but he wasn't unlikable before the fall in the cinematic universe. Where if you read the first appearance of Doctor Strange, he's just says like basically like, well, if they can't pay my bill, I ain't gonna operate on them. So haha, I'm that cool. Uh, whereas you know you have him and Silver Surfer, and Surfer's been Surfer's been in this fight before anybody else. So, you know, he, you know his, his, uh, his end of it is completely different. And again, Warlock has his... Warlock is using everybody. And this is another thing about this story that I like from a thousand-foot level, is that while there are good guys and bad guys, 
nobody, the, the two main players of Warlock and Thanos, neither one of them are pure in this. Warlock is totally on Warlock's side. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's his, his motivations are are kind of unclear throughout. And there's points where you think he may not be, except for the fact that he's been around for whatever it is, 20 years at that point, and you know his his reputation is that of a hero. Uh, you could you could easily see him having his own agenda that would conflict with the heroes at the end. Mm-hmm. And he kind of does. Uh, oh so, yeah. Spoilers, you know, at the end when he he gets all the uh, gems and he's got to create the Infinity Watch to. Uh, you know, everybody gets a gem to to, to uh, guard, safeguard. He gives a gem to Thanos. <laughs> you know. Well, yeah, but that don't. If uh, that wasn't his idea, I think he was forced to do that. From um, the Living Tribunal says, uh, uh, "Well, I, don't they judge him to see if he's yeah. mentally fit?" And then he's like, "No, nope, you're not fit." And uh, you gotta you gotta disperse those things. They can't be used together. No, if I think any, but I think he chooses the hosts. Yes, he does, and he chooses Thanos as a host. But really, any trade paperback of this should should include the first issue of Warlock and the Infinity Watch as the last issue of the collection, because it really does kind of put the gauntlet end of it. Basically, brings that to a close. And then he's basically goes off and, you know, it's like he's got Drax and all these other people. And Drax is a not as much as the movies, but he's kind of a big dope. Oh, no, I think he's more of a dope than in the movies. Yeah, that's what I mean. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He he had a mental deficiency at this point because of, uh, well, because his main driving goal originally was to destroy Thanos, period, at any means necessary. And but but didn't he get resurrected one too many times and uh, didn't quite take on one of the resurrections? Yeah, it's it's like on this resurrection when when he comes back when Thanos does, but he's not quite whole. In fact, there's a there's a there's an episode an issue sode of Silver Surfer where Silver Surfer basically brings him to Earth and they spend like a page watching television, but it's all Nick at night. <laughs> so, in fact, there is a, it's, it's one of my favorite panels of, of, of any issue of Silver Surfer, is Drax and Silver Surfer watching The Adventures of Superman, mm. television series with George Reeves. Uh, so he's, he's just, he's, he's, he's not, like, full childlike, but he's more like punch-drunk boxer. Uh, who who may have been hit in the head too many times, basically. Yeah. Well, he so he, he kind of had the personality, you know, like kind of like the Hulk, only, like you said, not quite as childlike. Not driven by rage too much, except when Thanos was involved. Yeah, and then he's a little uncontrollable because all he wants to do is kill Thanos, so or Thanos. I, okay, so I was schooled by a four-year-old on this, by the way. Uh, I, I was visiting a friend of mine from high school, and her her four. This was a couple years ago. Her four. Her then four-year-old son was showing me how to play the first Marvel Lego game on their computer, and I said Thanos, and he goes, "No, it's Thanos." <laughs> and I'm like, I'm wh- what? <laughs> 
Thanos. But, but Derivative from of, Thanatos. Blah, 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 but blah. because of that cartoon that was on, uh, what was that called? Marvel Superhero Squad? Mm-hmm. That's how they pronounced it on that. That's how he was familiar with the character. So that's how it was pronounced. And it was at that point that I realized that as a man approaching 40, arguing with a four-year-old has no clear victory. So you just kind of let it go. Yeah, because you're either going to be shown as a fool or you're going to just going to beat the child up and then you go to prison. <laughs> Might as well just be made the fool. So I hit him in the arm and then I hit him in the arm again and then I kind of blacked out and I had to go live with somebody else for a little while. I, I woke <laughs> up in the cell. I'm not quite sure how I got here, officer. Uh, but that my, my right. A... I'll show you a right. You... <laughs> um, there are certain moments from this that kind of stand out for me, but there is one moment uh, trying to remember if it's issue two or three because they, they unfortunately they do kind of uh, once you get into the middle of the story, it, it's not like everything blurs together, but remembering specific issues isn't as easy. Basically, they gather all the heroes that are left, and at one point, uh, Hulk and, and Wolverine uh, mm. basically go off on their own because they're you know they just want to get their head cleared. So Warlock goes to talk to them, and basically. Warlock is there to say, look, when the time is right, you two are the ones that can kill him. Because Wolverine and the Hulk, especially the Hulk at that point, they would take the guy out if he needed to get taken out. But Wolverine has... prejudiced. Yeah. But Wolverine has a line that I read it every time, and I'm like, Wolverine, do you fully understand the situation you're in? He goes, so you want us to sanction Thanos? I'm sorry, this isn't a head of state. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this isn't this isn't a, an assassin you're taking out. This is a god with omnipotent power. You know, sh- like are we going to liberate the Infinity Gauntlet after we sanction Thanos? <laughs> just, like every time I read that, I I just start laughing because it just it, it's just like wow. I mean, that is totally Wolverine. And I think it's, it's the just, way he was being presented at that time too. Yeah. Right. But it was just but, like... But I didn't think it was an odd choice of a term. I was like, sanction? What? I mean, I knew what it meant. I was just kind of like, oh, okay. Which I guess he does... Seals, right? <laughs> I mean, he does get to kind of do that, but a lot of good it does him. Then he gets yeah. turned into taffy or whatever. Blah, 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 blah. Laying on I, the floor. I, I don't know how much in order we want to go, but wow, the first fight with all the heroes... It's awesome, but it's kind of painful to watch because one by one they're taken out. Well, I, I mean, I guess the most famous one is the Captain America scene, which is oh, yeah. later. Uh, but they, I, you know, I think people were dismissive of it in the movie, and I think they recreated it fairly well, only dialogue free. Yeah, the the Cap was the Cap of the movies is not very loquacious. Like, when he says something, it's because he feels it needs to be said. Like, in Winter Soldier, when he makes his speech, it's because he's trying to get everyone together. But when he's fighting Crossbones in Civil War, they're not chatting it up. Mm -mm. You know? Crossbones is. 
he he can be inspirational in how he speaks, but he doesn't speak to hear his own voice. Yeah, and it would have been cool to see that to him walk up and say, "As long as one man." But I, I I'm sorry, the image of Chris Evans grabbing onto the gauntlet. <laughs> I think that was badass. <laughs> so, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm not going to argue with that choice. Uh, but no, it's just like this is the Eric Masterson Thor. Uh, and he almost dies. Uh, My hammer. <laughs> and, you know, Iron Man, and just, like, everybody tries to take their shot, and it's just like, no, Oh, my God, no. poor Iron Man. He wasn't even killed by Thanos. He was killed by his babe. <laughs> Disco death. <laughs> he had his head popped off. <laughs> yeah, that, that's pretty, pretty that, badass that, in itself. That long shot where all the bodies are laying there, and on one side of the battlefield, on, on the, the big white marble-looking thing that Thanos has created off in this little pot corner of the galaxy or whatever, his 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 throne, magical mystery throne, and just the body's all strewn around. And on one side of the picture is Iron Man's helmet, and the other side it is, is his body. And you're like, ooh. Oh, yeah. Okay. Ouch. Need a little I- back teen on that, Tony, or something. <laughs> I mean, watching Drax and Hulk, like, pound on him in issue four is great. But at one point, Thanos is like, yep, had enough of this. Kind of bored. Let's move on. (laughs) And and Doctor Doom, poor Doom, (laughs) he tries to do what Doom always tries to do and fails. And then, you know, Wolverine does stab him. But, again, fat lot of good that's going to do him. Mm-hmm. And basically, all of this is a giant distraction for uh, Warlock to kind of play his gambit. And, and talk that the doesn't, yeah. And that doesn't work. And I think that's another reason why I like this so much is because. But I got the impression that Warlock knew that wasn't going to work either. Yeah, I have a feeling that's a that's a very Doctor Strange and Infinity and Infinity War plan, uh, because I think everything that happened at the end of that movie happened for a very specific reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think it was he knew the Surfer was ultimately not going to win, uh, so but he but he had other gambits to play, you know, schemes within schemes, I guess you could say. Yeah. But I, I just think the 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 kind of the twist, and it's not like an M. Night Shyamalan twist. Uh, it's more like a lemon twist. Yeah, it's kind of a lemon twist. Peppermint twist. I got a new dance, and it goes like this: Baba Doo Baba Baba Doo You, you uh, stole my my part of it. <laughs> it's a lemon twist. But the fact that uh, Nebula grabs the uh, gauntlet at one point was the kind of swerve that was just like, oh, okay, wasn't kind of expecting that, but let, let's see where this goes. wonder if we'll see that next movie. Hmm. Poor hmm. Nebula in her high heels, which would drive my wife crazy. <laughs> I'm really creeped out by this woman that uh, Thanos created, by the way. Oh, yeah, she's very creepy. And the fact that she looks like him? yeah. Yeah, dresses exactly like him. Mm. I want to make out with me, but a chick. But I, I, I think that's 
that's saying something, though. I think this, this, you know, implicit in that is maybe that Thanos he loves re- himself. Thanos more really than he only loves, loves himself, exactly. Or he sees himself as the perfect embodiment of everything. So the, what, what, what would make death more jealous? You know, <laughs> look, I have this perfect woman now. She looks like me. <clears throat> well, they made that giant marquee of planets above his little throne, which I had forgot those were actual planets, too, until I, I did the reading. And, and you know, they're actually saying, uh, hey, don't you think, do you think those people on those planets are, you know, they're probably not real happy about your display. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, those were, were real worlds. Oh my, you know that. But, but that touches on that is t- touches on something that I really like about this series is that this is a a world ending story. Uh, you know, literally a a a, li- a story of life and death. And I think Starlin does a good job of kind of setting up the disaster movie end of it at the beginning. By showing what Thanos' actions cause on Earth, I mean, we got to kind of like in the like at the end of the film, we saw like the helicopter crashing into uh, an Atlanta downtown skyscraper. Because I swear to God, that was Peachtree Street. I know it was. <laughs> I, I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. Um, but you know, you you saw like some of the effects of what it was, but in this. You see it on a truly galactic level, but with in terms of Earth, not only are is half the population of Earth gone, okay, and not only does that cause catastrophes all over the planet, but Earth has been ripped from its orbit and is now careening away from the sun. Oh so, yeah, and that was from what? It's like a temper tantrum. Thanos yes. had that. That wasn't even his initial snap of his fingers. That was like an after effect of something else, and it just totally, yeah. So that, yeah, it, like it was two percent, like two percent of the power that he used reached the Earth, and basically, yeah, has now pushing it out, out, um, out where it's going to get cold. And somewhere in that city, there is a woman having a uh, nightmare. That, that she's uh, hot. That she's hot and moving towards the sun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it turns out that she's not. So, and on another planet, there's a person that looks completely normal in a room full of pig faces. But, <laughs> but, but no, I, I think what I liked about that is one, it kind of involved more of the the Earth side of of the Marvel universe, where you had Nick Fury trying to deal with this. And you had the Avengers trying to deal with this. But it's basically like the peril isn't stopping Thanos. We have to stop Thanos. We have to get all these people back. And we have to get the Earth back. Because even if even if we don't succeed in saving, you know, getting back half the population of the Earth, everyone's going to die anyways. <laughs> so- so it's like one of these things where I'm like, wow, there's a lot of layers. And, yeah, the back end of the story is pretty much all on Thanos's uh, shrine to to death, uh, which is very metal, I, I, I will say, by the way. I, I think you're right. Maybe he was kind of into Megadeth and Iron Maiden and all that those bands at this point. Well, the, uh, all the uh, – it was nice how, how all the uh, – the pantheon of gods um, were taken off the table too. 
they were just, you know. Oh, yeah, you just blocked them out. Yeah, well, that same shockwave, like, well, because they'd all gathered up in Asgard to meet, you know, and uh, then the Bifrost was shattered by that little shockwave, and they're like, oh, my God, we're stuck here. Oops. We're trapped. Why'd you make us come to Asgard for, you big dope? Dumbass. Double dumbass on you. And I do like the fact that Starlin very quickly uh, kind of chucks aside the fact that the only reason that Adam Warlock, Pip the Troll, and Gamora are able to come back is that three people were in a car accident oh and God. they just basically oh, yeah. took over their bodies. Three, three <laughs> asshole people, too, by the way. Yeah. I mean, and they just fly off of this, a curb. I guess, I don't know if they're drunk or whatever, but, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, they had met at a bar, and one of them was like, you know, completely hammered. So, yeah, but they had just done something wrong. I could, well, I, I gotta go back. They yeah, had, they had committed a crime of right. some sort, but basically, they, they were kind of bad people. So I guess it doesn't matter that they. So it's justified. It's a justified, uh, not killing, but takeover. I guess. <laughs> but it does lead to a very good, like, kind of cliffhanger ending of the first issue, where Pip the Troll goes into the hotel room. And I really feel bad for whoever has to clean up that room after they're done. What the hell is that? He was watching <laughs> Elf. Yeah. Which was one of the more unrealistic. Was Elf still on the air in 91? Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe I know his, his animated series was. Might have been reruns. Might have been the animated series. Boy, but, you know, Warlock's uh, cocoon really looks like a giant turd. <laughs> yes, yes, it does. What did it you all... eat? <laughs> Guys, oh man, did they order from that Mexican place down the road? This is just, ah, uh, I quit. You know, so... <laughs> There's no tip big enough for me to clean this shit up. <laughs> so what does Jim Starlin have against uh, Canadian heroes? Because when, on the list of, uh, of um, here's the update, you know, you got Cap saying, here's the update on the tally of disappeared superheroes. There's like nine Alpha Flight or Canadian uh, team members up there. Well, considering what Alpha Flight was like during this time period, I'm not exactly surprised because I, I read that entire series at one point. And when you get into like the like before Jim Lee starts drawing the title, there's a point where it's kind of rough. Yeah. So, but, I mean, when one of your big guys is box. Hmm. Hey, now. Point well taken. Don't make fun of Madison Jeffries. Sad that I know his name. <laughs> it's a sad, sad little man I am. Sadder still that I remember the uh, issue where Heather goes to see... She's da- It's not Box that she's dating. It's one of the other guys, right? Because uh, he's a mutant that has ability to basically fix things. Well, that's Box, yeah. And, and he's, like, uh, he's also missing his legs, I think, and then he... He he can he can actually get he gets absorbed into the into the box robot. Yeah, it was another member of the team then that I'm thinking of, but still, Madison Jeffries. <laughs> I like how you pulled that right out of thin air too. Very good, sir. <laughs> that is actually impressive. That is not sad. It's impressive it's, in a sad kind of way. It's, it's impressive and sad at the same time. <laughs> Can't be both. Uh, and then. Uh, all the Fantastic Four are off the page. Um, uh, of course, in this little picture, I don't know why 
Mr. Fantastic has to be in the shape of a four. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> and then the Human Torch has, is making a little four with the fire. Just so you remind just who he is. Yeah. Poor U.S. agents taking off the t- taking off the board too. Mm-hmm. At nothing this point, wrong, nothing I believe, wrong with that. At this point, I believe he was the Guy Gardner of West Coast Avengers. Yeah, well, John Walker. Yeah, because he showed up when Byrne took over the title, uh, and he made him a little crazy. <laughs> and really? and and no one, yeah, he's talking to his dead parents basically. <laughs> Though I do like that uh, that Night Thrasher. Um, died. I'm sure a lot of people were. Re- I I can't even finish that joke. It's just not. Funny. And there was much rejoicing, <laughs> and then he came back. Aw. <laughs> Who is Makari? He was in Eternal. He was the fast, like uh, the Flash of uh, okay. the Eternals, for what I remember. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's correct. Yeah, this shows my uh, the limits what? of my Marvel knowledge. This page does. Well, you've got Guardian, who was Heather Doug McDonald. McDonald, thank you. And then, you remember Madison Jeffries, and you can't remember that. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say. Or was it was it Hudson? Because James well, it been, well it, McDonald was it, her her was her birth name, and then it was she was married to James Hudson, who at this point may or may not be the Vindicator that's there. I don't know. He's died and come back and been cloned and done so many things that it, I don't know. Remember. Which one is the real Vindicator and which one he's not? Who knows? Who cares? <laughs> and you have Shaman with his uh, with his wares. He's setting up his stand on the side of the road. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was yeah, that was when he switched costumes. I never, I liked his original one, the mm. you know the brown one. Yeah, this, you, but yeah, I think Thanos threw a piece of paper on the uh, floor and he cried. <laughs> <laughs> Well, wait, he was Italian? What? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was about to say, that guy wasn't even a Native American. Yeah, why are you dropping the paper? Oh, sorry. And I've offended Native Americans and Italians in the same sentence. Yeah. Though, so, now that I see the owl thing, I think, ha! I kill me! <laughs> Sasquatch. That's a pretty sad-looking Sasquatch, too. He looks like the Indian on the side of the road. <laughs> Who's uh, there was one of one, like one of Spider-Man's lame villains that looked kind of like the way he's drawn here. Oh, uh, are you thinking? Wait, was it Captain America that fought the armadillo? Oh, it's the armadillo. That's who I'm thinking of. Yeah, because I remember him in Captain America. Was he was he a Spider-Man villain? I maybe uh, to- I maybe totally off thing, on that too because he was the yeah he was in Captain America. He, was he in may the not have been Spider-Man league. at all. He was um, in the, Powered wrestling thing. Oh, the the unlimited class wrestling. Yes, yeah, he was in that with uh, with D Man. <laughs> I like D Man. I don't care what anybody says. Come Who's Winchier? Come on and rock me, Armadillo. Armadillo. I think he was in Alpha Flight, wasn't he? I, I was counting him in the Alpha Flight tally. Well, let me look it up. Winchier. Oh wait a minute, was that a uh, Iron Man? I don't remember that guy. I don't know. Armadillo was uh, originated in Captain America, by the way. Issue 308. Yeah, that was really early in the Gruenwald run. Yes. If I remember correctly. By Mark Gruenwald. So, and the Wasp dies again. Because she's really good at that in these big wouldn't really oh, be a cro- was... It wouldn't be a crossover if she didn't. He was in Alpha Flight, yeah. 
Okay. See, that, that's how much... Uh, I, like I said, I read the entire series. I do not remember him at all. <laughs> so, Colin Asworth Hume. He does He does sound like he would have that Harvard lockjaw, wouldn't, doesn't he? <laughs> so, but no, it's just the... The way... The, one of the other reasons why I like this, I, I will finish the sentence at some point, I promise. <laughs> but one of the reasons why I like this series so much is that it doesn't follow, and maybe calling it a crossover is kind of unfair because it's really not. It has all the trappings of like a big cosmic crossover event, but at heart, it's a Jim Starlin cosmic story. Because even though you have all of this like, earth shaking and asgard falls and the the kree are getting involved and you have all of these cosmic beings one of which looks like he's just really into weightlifting um what is his name it's not the grandmaster is it the guy with the mustache which issue are we looking at oh the stranger yeah so you've got all you have all of these characters involved oh wait that's billy joel the stranger sorry But at the heart of it, it's all about this cosmic being who's an arrested, you know, adolescence, essentially. And at the end of the day, he's not defeated because someone hits him. He's not defeated because the Earth 2 Superman has had enough of his shit and just, like, you know, breaks him apart. He's defeated because Adam Warlock goes, you know, at the end of the day, you don't want this. So that's why you always, into your plot, plant the seeds of your own defeat. And the final issue, the final panel is Thanos kind of in, like, his farmer duds, just sitting there going, I'm going to think about this for a little while. And I got to say, I love that aspect of the story, that he ended it on such a, for lack of a better word, mellow scene. Yeah. You know, it, it, it didn't end with a bang and a boom. It ended with a, a, a discussion and some thought-provoking uh, dialogue. Now, compare this scene and how it ends and what he's thinking about here with how Infinity War ends. Well, right off the bat, you can you can distinguish the two of them because this ends after he's been defeated. Correct. Mm-hmm. Whereas yes. Infinity in the move Infinity War the movie ends with he's him won triumphant. And, he and he's up, he's kind of like, yeah, well, I've won. He's kind of becoming a gentleman farmer in theory, which he really doesn't have the same thing, but because he doesn't his work is done now. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, they they layered it into the dialogue and it's one of the things that I think the movie did brilliantly is that his minions were kind of ciphers. But yes, I agree. Thanos is probably, outside of Loki, the best developed villain of the MCU. Because everything he does, he is so layered. And I think, I think that's one of the reasons why the movie works so well and why this story works so well, is he is not... I hate to say this because I'm a DC kid at heart. He's not Darkseid. Darkseid straight ahead. You know, if you if you read one dark side story, you've read every dark side story. <laughs> okay? And you kind of get the same thing with Thanos, but dark side is just all about and especially in the in the 21st century, it seems like everybody just wants dark side to be the biggest badass in the room. And he's just going to sit there 
And if he doesn't like you, he's going to fry you with his omega beams. But his entire thing is about getting the anti-life equation. And if you read Herbie's fourth world, Darkseid's more of a layered character, whereas I think later he's more of a bruiser. Whereas Thanos is... a He's thought-provoking on every level. It seems like every time he pops up, there's a lot of action, but there is a lot of substance to what he's doing. So at the end of the day, when I saw the movie, I was just like, I feel something for this guy. I shouldn't, because he's trying to wipe out half the universe. By the way, I survived. I just, I was happy to see that. <laughs> uh, I went to the site. Apparently, I was spared. Um, so was my wife. Uh, because I didn't want to have to aven- avenging her against Thanos. I mean, I would do it, but it would be like one of those. Well, I'm going to die, so I might as well just put everything I have into it. But I, I think both here and in the movie, you understand why he's doing what he's doing, and there's a certain nobility about him that I think they they capture in both of these. But here in the comics, he's more of a petulant child. Whereas in the movies, I don't because they removed the death angle from it. Mm-hmm. Which uh, do you guys think that was a good idea or a bad, bad idea? Because I think it was probably a better idea to not have death be his, you know, squeeze. I'm not sure how you pull off the living embodiment of death in the in a live action movie. Well, I almost thought they were going to, and I we mentioned I thought so in another too. show we did. I, I thought. I thought that's who the Red Skull was 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 going to be, the the guardian of the Soul Gem in the movie, but then I was like, oh my god, it's a Red Skull! Yeah, how that- freaking awesome was that? <laughs> like I saw that and I literally poked my wife and went, it's the Red Skull. That's what I did, that's what I did to my son. I was like, because Paul saw the movie first, he's like, I guarantee you there'll be a point in the movie where you go, ooh, and sure enough, that popped up and I went. And I go to Ben, I'm like, that's the Red Skull. <laughs> but, yeah, I... I, I, I magnificently I, by Ross Marquand, I must say. Yeah, he did a really good Hugo Weaving voice, didn't he? Mm-hmm. I think they could have done the death angle, but I think it would have required... In order to do it right, I think you needed to develop it. I don't think you could just throw it out there as a throwaway line or something. Yeah. And we had a movie that was pretty long already. Yeah. So I'm not sure that I, I, I think it could have damaged the pacing of the movie if they tried to do it. Not so much that the story would have been bad. I think they probably could have pulled it off if they had developed it. But the cost as far as pacing and, and uh, what else they might have had to cut in order to do that might have been too high. Well, another thing, and maybe I'm looking too deep into this, but, you know, wanting to market this movie worldwide, uh, different cultures and different religions might have different portrayals than your typical Grim Reaper type style. You know, even like the woman in the robe is kind of akin to the Grim Reaper. I mean, would that symbolism be, you know, may not go over well in India or or China uh, and, and let's let's be fair. They made Tilda Swinton the the ancient one for a reason, uh, and it wasn't whitewashing. It's because they wanted to this film. To, they wanted Doctor Strange to do well in China. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're you're not going to take it. You would have had to have 
an entire other film setting it up. And they didn't have that in the lineup. And I don't think you could have done a solo Thanos movie. <laughs> I, I don't think it would have gone over well, in all honesty. I think it's interesting... I think it's interesting, though, you know, you talk about how well-developed the character of Thanos was in this movie, and I think he was, but going into this movie with the appearances we had, he was very two-dimensional. Oh, yeah. I mean, when we first saw him, and, and they kind of hinted at death, it was in the the end credit scene in Avengers, where it says, to court death. Or and even he when in Guardians. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and he's just basically sitting on a chair, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. I, yeah, we you know we didn't really have too much. If you weren't familiar with him already, all you knew is he was an imposing figure. That's oh, it. but if you were, you went. <gasps> oh yeah, I, and I'm pretty sure I made. I'm pretty sure I made that exact sound at the end of the Avengers. Oh, I did, and you know what my second thought was after was that was awesome. It was oh crap, DC do Dark Side now, do Dark Side now, or you're going to lose. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's it's funny when when that stuff comes up in the movies because my kids get a kick out of it because they're like, "Okay, Dad, tell us what it is in the comics." <laughs> but, it's like I can't wait to tell them what you know. Oh, do you know who that was? And sometimes they know, and sometimes they don't. Yeah, and I I have a a, a good buddy of mine, Van Allen Plexico, uh, who ran AvengersAssemble.net for decades. Uh, is a huge fan of the cosmic stuff, so he was like one of the first people I thought of. And, and and I think that's another cool thing about the Marvel films is that we all have the friend that's a fan of a particular character. So I, I think in a way, not only do we get these cool movies, but you're like, wow, my buddy's enjoy like, like, you know, my, one of my friends is enjoying this. And, you know, I think with this one, with Infinity War especially, it was just like there was something for everybody in this film. Um I mean, I don't know how deep we want to get into it, but I got to say Captain America's or Steve Rogers first appearance in this movie actually gave me freaking goof bu- goosebumps. I was just like, oh, that is so badass. That oh, when he so catches cool. the spear. Yeah. And, and the music comes up. Yeah, the, 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 the audience, the audience started to applaud when that happened in the uh, showing I was in. And I, and I was, I think I was saying this to you and Al the other day, Bill, that uh, I don't applaud movies because it's not live people up on the stage but i wanted to (laughs) (laughs) i I think it's just one of those things though that you're absolutely right paul that one of the successes of the film version of thanos is that they were able to get so much into a two and a half hour film that never slowed down there were no quiet moments in this movie everything was forward momentum i think the closest thing to a quiet moment we had in the movie was when he uh, had to contemplate whether or not he was going to sacrifice gamora i think that's the closest thing we had to a quiet moment but even that's full of tension and like oh crap is he actually oh he's gonna oh he's done it and then you feel for him (laughs) Mm -hmm. so but in the comic you know everything is about death and trying to get her attention and then at the end, when he basically realizes he's lost, he tries to get it back, but I don't think he tries very hard. And I think the fact that he does end up as like a farmer, like if, if that was the end of Thanos or Thanos in the Marvel Universe, I think it would have been a really 
successful and satisfying end to the character. Like, I set out everything I'm going to do, now I'm just going to try to figure out what it all means. And then, you know, 60s era, Sue Storm pops up and goes, but Reed, what does it all mean? (laughs) You were just thinking as a silly female, Sue. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you love that dialogue? No. But it's funny to make fun of. <laughs> well, that's what—that's the level I'm talking about. <laughs> okay, yeah, yes, I love that dialogue. <laughs> no, I just—I think what 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 gets me about this story, and it's similar, I think, to kind of a, a, a similar but not the same to Acts of Vengeance, where the idea behind the series is just as good as the series itself. Like, all of the concepts that Starlin brings up are explored, and it's just as satisfying as watching the heroes of the Marvel Universe attack Thanos. And 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 it's... it's The only way I can describe it is this is so Marvel. This is so Marvel Comics. And, and I really love it because of that. Has Have either of you heard uh, what Jim Starlin's take is on the movie? Oh, he loved it. Did he? Yeah, okay, he, uh, I'm glad to hear that because a lot of times, you know, with the creators, you hear, oh, you know, that's not what I wanted or whatever. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that. He was at the world premiere in L.A. Uh, I follow him on Facebook, so this is how I know this. Uh, uh, I, I don't stalk Jim Starlin. <laughs> so I just want to make that clear. But but he saw it, and he, he said he couldn't go into it because he didn't want to give anything away way but he just really appreciated how they portrayed Thanos and he also was kind of touched by how many of the little references to his work were in the film so yeah he liked it uh, uh, you know he, he doesn't like Marvel Comics right now but I think he likes the movie side of it alright that's I'll, I'll, I'll take that uh, he he seems to have the uh, abused wife uh, syndrome where, you know, he keeps going back to them, though. He, and he, he's upset saying, with them and he comes back. Yeah, and then he, he like he writes he writes uh, Thanos, he writes Thanos, and then they take it away and he just goes off. And then, like, five, six years later, he comes back to it. It's, it's, well, I'm, I'm thankful that that happens because I do I enjoy his his Marvel cosmic so much. Yes. Uh, speaking of, of following him on Facebook, apparently they did this giant Thanos statue that had the chair with it, and the figure was like almost two feet tall. Oh boy! And, and he was taking pictures of himself talking to the figure at like the kitchen table. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, and and they showed the box it came in, and it was just like I think you needed a spotter to bring it in. It's like that. Have you guys seen these vibranium and adamantium editions that Marvel has put out of, of certain books? No, I don't think I have. So I ordered the vibra- the Captain America vibranium collection, which was, I thought, an omnibus, right? Mm-hmm. It was going to be an omnibus celebrating 75 years of Captain America. And I'm like, my birthday's coming up. This is what I want. And uh, it was half off on in-stock trades the week it came out. So I ordered it. And I'm expecting, like, a box the size of an omnibus. And then on my front porch is this giant, like, it literally lifting with both hands and getting into the house. This thing is gigantic. So 
apparently Marvel, when they go big, they go really big, is what I'm saying. So, oh. but no, um, I think everybody's happy. I have. Have you guys heard of anybody that we like know in our circles that didn't like the movie? No. The closest thing I heard is Mike Myers, who does uh, was it DC Noise? Yeah. And he posted something about how he liked the Justice League movie more than this one, and he thought that uh, uh, what's his name uh, was a better villain than Thanos. Uh, I can't even think of his name now. We talked about him. Steppenwolf. Steppenwolf. Um, Steppenwolf. Okay. I spent like an hour and a half defending that film. Uh, I can't get behind that. No, me neither. And then <laughs> my response was to, to him was something like, uh, "I can't agree with you, but you know, I respect everybody's opinions." Yeah. Uh, and then, but then that was on the I like this better. I liked Justice League better. Then when he put the step in the Steppenwolf Thanos comment, I thought, you know what? I think he's just trolling at this point. <laughs> he's just trying to get people mad at him. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not in that headspace anymore where when I hear stuff like that, it's just like, okay. I don't get mad at it. I, I, I have to say I found it a little insulting when some people who I consider friends uh, tried to say, if you don't like Batman v Superman, it means you don't understand it. I found that a little insulting. But yes. beyond that, I don't get, I, I, I don't get, you know, everybody's entitled to their opinion. It's fine. I, I, I say I, I'm going to say it a thousand times, uh, and I'm going to keep on saying it. I never argue taste because yeah. you just—it's a zero-sum game. Not You're only not do I not, it. not only do I not argue taste, but I embrace people with differing points of view on it. I enjoy that. I enjoy having a dialogue on it. Yeah, I don't like Rob Liefeld image stuff. But I have a friend that's drawing a Bloodstrike title right now, and he's having a ball doing it. I'm like, you go be you. You go have fun with that. I'm glad it exists for you because it's bringing you joy. So, exactly. So, but, no, I can't get behind it. But otherwise, I have not heard, I have not heard any negative opinions on the movie. Uh, I listened to the Now Playing podcast which is not our circles, but it's, you know, it's a pretty intelligent movie review mm-hmm. podcast. And I heard some criticism on that, that they felt there was so much action in it that they didn't have a chance for uh, character development. And I, I don't really agree because I think the there is character development. But I think there was. I think we, we, get the, we got the character development with Thanos. We didn't need the character development with everybody else for exactly the reason you just said. And even but, but, at that, I thought we saw a little bit with Vision. We saw some character development. You know, it, think, it, it wasn't totally missing with the Hulk. We certainly saw it. You know, Bruce Banner and the Hulk. I think the only character that was underserved in this film was Steve Rogers. Because he got to do some cool stuff, but not. Ever, but just I think by the very nature of the story, there wasn't a whole lot for him to do except fight. Uh, you know, Iron Man got to you know had the whole thing with with pepper at the beginning of the film and mm-hmm. and then you had him dealing with spider-man and the whole thing between him and dr strange which i thought that was played off brilliantly you do have the stuff with bruce and you know why is the hulk not wanting to come out and thank you for lying to me in a trailer again uh, mm-hmm. well so, that's that's a lie i didn't mind because that was that was a purposeful misdirection uh, to keep you from know, knowing what was going on, and I'm fine with that one. 
But well, I think the trailer lied too, that because when Cap was holding back the gauntlet, wasn't there only two gems in the gauntlet in the trailer? I'm not that I'm not sure. You, you also had you it. had some development with uh, Peter Quill and Gamora. I mean, there was mm-hmm. I think I think yeah. there were character moments. I think they worked well, some. So I think they very deftly worked in character moments in a movie that was over the top with action. Well, to me, this is like uh, I got two thoughts on this. One we already did on another show. One that. Um, the quote-unquote criticism I had was that if you're not invested in the com, well, you don't have to be invested in the comics, but if you haven't watched all the other movies, this movie is really not going to make a lot of sense to you with deep backstories of the of the of the characters. And the, my my second point is that this the the movie is almost like the six part series that we're discussing now, or an annual to where. You get groups of characters meet up together for something big. You don't really have a lot of true character development. You've got plot-driven elements and action, which is what the movie was. Which is what I mean. There was plot. There was plots here with with Thanos and Warlock. With you see more of how Thanos defeats himself. But um, you guys know what I'm saying, right? I'm, sure. I'm just babbling. No, it's, this is one of the few times you're babbling and making sense at the same time. Oh, hey, well, you know, just like a monkey could type on a typewriter, I, you know, I, I could come up with a coherent thought every now and then. An infinite number of builds doing an infinite number of podcasts will eventually hit on a salient point. <laughs> we'll eventually put out, like, the full writings of Socrates or something like that. But, so great. Or Socrates. <laughs> Beat me to it. But, uh, but, but what I will, what I will say about the movie that, and it's and I don't even want to call it a criticism because it is what it is because of what it is. And what I mean by that is unlike other film franchises, the Marvel Studios movies have all been there are similarities between them, like a lot of people were complaining that the end of Ant-Man was kind of like the end of the first Iron Man film where it was basically two guys in suits fighting. Uh, and I can't argue with it, but I still enjoyed it. But all on their own, they're exploring and, and developing the characters within them. When you look at like the three Iron Man films, the three Thor films, and the three Cap films, there's a definite like character arc of the, of the main character throughout it. And at the end of it, they're at a very different place. One of the great things I thought about Thor Ragnarok is that at the end of it, he got exactly what he wanted at the beginning of the first Thor film. But look what happened to get him there. Mm. And look how how short-lived it was. And look how short-lived it was. Which was like one of the things about watching this is like, wait a second, I, I, I came out of that movie on a high, basically, and now you're going to do all this? Uh, okay, that's fine. Let's, let's, let's kind of, <laughs> we'll just go with it. But unlike Avengers, or even Avengers Age of Ultron, the first Avengers film was basically like, okay, let's see what we can, let's see if we can actually do it. We have all these characters. We've set them up in previous films. Now we're going to see if we can bring them together. And I think Age of Ultron was like, okay, now we have these characters together. Let's see what kind of complications we can throw at them. Because I felt Age of Ultron 
was in my limited reading, but I might be right about this, was a very late 70s, 80s Avenger story. You know, it's something you could have seen Jim Shooter writing or David Michelinie or Roger Stern. Um, this one is a culmination of an entire pantheon of films. And so on one hand, you, ha- you, you have to judge it as a movie because it's what it is. But on the other hand, it's separate from everything else because it can't exist without all of those other movies happening first. I would really be interested in hearing from somebody who hasn't seen the other movies and sees this. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know that person, <laughs> but I would Cameron? love to hear from somebody who did. James Cameron, really? Okay. <laughs> well, he, uh, he was negative Nancy. But yeah, I, I, I want to... Uh, you should listen to him. <laughs> I want to I want to try and steer us back to the comic instead of the movie okay. a little bit. Sorry, uh, right. no, no, don't be sorry. Uh, your your opinions are well well noted and well thought out. Uh, but I think one of the things that we haven't touched on at all with this is the six covers, and okay. I just I just think they're all really dynamic and in different ways. Um, I would say the weakest is probably the last two, the weakest two of them. Mm-hmm. But they're all really good. The first I, one is, is is incredibly dynamic. Yeah, that is a... that is a. I mean, they kind of made the movie poster look like it, so that says something. And what I love is, if you look at the covers, they kind of tell the story of the series just by looking at it in a microcosm. You know, like the first issue has Thanos has the gauntlet and he's wielding it. The second issue is all the heroes looking at the screen. Third issue is all of them running at the camera. And then the camera turns around for issue four. And there's just Thanos. Mm -hmm. I will agree. I think the weakest one is five. But that's because I don't like the design of some of the characters, not the design of the not the composition of the cover itself. Right. Fair enough. And the last one is just like, okay, you're going to end this with Gamora fighting Thanos? Okay, i got to read that, because I don't know what the F's going on here. <laughs> That's Nebula. Oh, Nebula, sorry. Mm-hmm. But yeah, getting it's... my Nebulas and my Gamoras mixed up. I, I think, you know, the cover, well, like, like uh, as I said, all the covers are pretty dynamic, and, and uh, I think they all pulled me in. Uh, I think the one that's the most bold is the most simple one of the bunch, number four. Mm-hmm. I just think that's so compelling. You know, come and get me, and he's just kind of like got his hands out, like, "Come on, guys!" Mm. And that's 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 the Thanos that gave them a point oh five percent chance of winning. Oh yeah, I mean, the thing I love about it is you have three covers that are extremely busy, not in a bad way, uh, because I think the cover. I think the cover to number one is my favorite because not only do you have the cool shot of death and Mephisto and Thanos, you have a real Jack Kirby looking Hulk in the bottom corner and a real Steranko looking Nick Fury. It's like he was, he was channeling all these other artists. But when you look at that second one with all those faces and the, the Adam Warlock thing happening on the screen, and uh, I think you get a, 
I, I also have to commend him that if you're going to have a shot of She-Hulk's butt, you're going to have a shot of Cap's butt as well. So <laughs> It's equal opportunity. But the, And the third one is just... The only part of that I don't like is I hate the Hulk's outfit from this era. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with you on that one. Uh, but it's just like everyone's going, let's go get him. And then the fourth one is, okay, I'm right here. Ah, it's so beautiful. I think the fourth one kind of trusts that you're invested in the series at this mm-hmm. point and that you'll see that cover and be like, oh, my God, i got to read this. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you, if you aren't invested in it, I don't know if that cover draws you in. But if you are, it's it's like you can't buy this fast enough. Yeah, oh, no, no doubt. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things where I really feel like Marvel did everything right with this, this, this limited series. The pacing, the way the covers are laid out, the, you know, just having it be six issues, because four issues, probably not enough, but anything more than six issues, I think you're padding it. So I just, I think it's one of their better event books. I don't want to call it a crossover because there weren't that many crossovers as we pointed out, but as far as I think you're right. I think event is a better way to, yeah. To term it. But, yeah, but in that term, they, they managed to... At the very same time that this was going on, across the street, DC was doing War of the Gods, where they took a storyline that Perez, and I think Jill Thompson was drawing, or Cynthia Martin was drawing, the or writing the book, or drawing the book at the time, Um where they, they took a fifty a Wonder Woman 50th anniversary story and turned it into a huge crossover uh, for the DC Universe. Was uh, that across, when they relaunched Wonder Woman, or am I thinking, was that earlier? That That's when they, 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 like, she went into hibernation for a little bit, and then there was a special, and then she came back with William Mesner Loeb's writing it hmm. uh, a little bit after that. But this was... This was basically the Greek gods and the Roman gods start a ruckus, and all the other pantheons of the of the earth start kind of erupting. And it's it's a it's a crossover so mismanaged that all of the crossover issues that came into it, there was a number at the top that you were supposed that supposedly told you how to follow it, and they screwed that up. And one of them doesn't even have a number on it. So you had that going on, which also involved George Perez, where they tried to do like the big budget crossover event world ending storyline, and it failed. Whereas across the street, you had this going on, and it succeeds, and I think it succeeds because it's not a traditional crossover. I, I can buy into everything you're saying there. Uh, I, 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 you know, I was going to say we should grade this, but I'm, I'm at a loss a little bit because to me this is just one of the best event books ever, and I'm just saying A's all across, all, all along. You know, the covers, the artwork, the story, all A's, and and uh, unlike so many stories that have a big build up, this has a satisfying ending to it, which is probably the fatal flaw of most big epics. Yes. They, don't, they don't know how to close it out. And the cool thing was is when Starlin did the sequels with Infinity War and Infinity Crusade, 
he didn't go back to Thanos being the bad guy. It was other cosmic beings, mm-hmm. you know, the the Magus, and and I think wasn't Infinity Crusade her? Yeah, the goddess. Yeah, the, the goddess. It was it was basically the first one. What was Adam Warlock's evil side, and the set, the next one was Adam Warlock's good side. Well, it's not so much it's his not, good side. I, I think it's his feminine side. Yeah. Right, and, because that's going to be evil. Uh, oh, sorry. Oh, uh, there we go. I've offended and, more people. And it <laughs> wasn't. And it wasn't uh, merely a story of of bad guys fighting good guys, because two of the people that were on the goddess's side were Captain America and Spider Man. Why is it every time I talk to you, I start thinking there ain't no good guys, there ain't no bad guys. <laughs> There's only, only you and me. me. And we just disagree. Every time. It's like every conversation we have had. <laughs> but, but it, you know, and, and people say that there's kind of diminishing returns as those go on. Uh, I have not read those yet. Uh, but now I'm kind of interested in reading them separated from when they came out. Because I remember, uh, you guys remember when Marvel did the year in review magazines? Yes. So the one for 92, uh, it was the first one I bought. I thought it was hysterical, but one of the things when they were talking about Infinity War is that they kept, they they opened the article with a quote from a They Might Be Giant song, My Evil Twin. Uh, And I had just gotten that album, so it's like one of those things where suddenly two things that are separate in my life are now joined together, and I don't know how to feel about it. But it just seems like everyone says those are bad because of, like, you know, all of the doppelgangers that were running around. But I'm wondering if, you know, 20, almost 30 years later, if they read better now as kind of gestalt entities instead of being part of what the company is pushing. I could tell you I enjoyed the Infinity War. I thought it was good. I didn't have any problem with the doppelgangers. I did have some problems with some of the crossovers because I felt they were forced. But I had no problem with the series. It's, you know, the the Prime series. Um, Then after we got through, I'm trying to remember now, after we got through Infinity Crusade, uh, or after Infinity War was Infinity Crusade, which I didn't care for as much, I think I may need to reread that to see if, for exactly the reasons you're saying, uh, then we had a big gap. 1993 was the Infinity Crusade, and then the next thing was in 2002, we had the Infinity Abyss. Mm-hmm. And I, rem- I remember that being a much more contained story, but enjoyable. Okay. Uh, the next thing that uh, Starlin did was Marvel Universe The End, which is related to it. Uh, and... I kind of remember being underwhelmed by that, but it's I haven't read it since. Um, and let's see. Then we have, which I never read, but Bill did, the Infinity series. I've heard that yeah, was good. Yeah, that was a little bit, yeah, it's, even that's become a little fuzzy. <laughs> I've heard good things about it, though. The guy that, that runs the comic shop I go to, uh, was uh, arranging some stock, and, and one of the things he pulled out was the Avengers trade paperback that tied into that. Well, there's and a he very... start... Sorry, sorry, go ahead. And he started going into what the whole thing was behind it, and it actually, I, I, I was listening to him, I was like, wow, this actually sounds like something I'd want to read. 
So, and the artwork looks amazing. Well, there's a really amazing scene where um, uh, Thor is basically told, uh, you know, because Thanos' minions, the the Black Order, whatever, you know, they're saying um, it's not them directly, but like their their minions is saying, you know, you uh, they tell Thor, well, you need to come here without your weapon. So he takes Mjolnir or Mjolnir, however you wish to say it, and flings it away. And then he comes and he's basically uh, there. You know, this this guy's, t- t- you know, saying, Neil, do this, do that. And Thor's just kind of like standing there, very defiant. And he just at one point holds out his hand and the hammer comes back and goes right through the guy that had been, or, or, you know, trying to push him around and order him, tell him what to do. And then, uh, then the Avengers begin an attack on that planet. Cause they were trying to retake that planet back from Thanos's forces. So it was a pretty, uh, you know, pretty powerful scene. And that was Hickman, right? I want to say so. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was. Cause that was during his Avengers run. If I'm remembering mm-hmm. correctly. Uh, where he was, because he was writing both Avengers and New Avengers, if I'm remembering what I saw in the trade paperbacks <laughs> on the shelf, basically. So, but I, I just think that I'm going to agree with Paul that I think it's A's across the board, and it's very rare that I feel that way about a book, uh, especially when you're covering it in a podcasting context, because you you. It's not like you feel you need to be critical, but your your eye is just more critical in general. So that's just kind of how you're gonna you're gonna go with it. But for me, this is I don't want to ever see the same thing done again. But I think this is the measuring stick for events in, in how you set them up and in how you pay them off. Because uh, you know the common complaint of the 21st century event is that it doesn't end. There is no satisfying last page where you go, ah, yes, okay, that was good. I'm I'm ready to read what's next, but whereas it seemed like it just went into, okay, that's over, but boy, wait till you see what's right behind the corner, because there's some bad stuff coming down the road. Y'all ready (laughs) for this? One of us was going to do it. I figured it would be me. Uh, I couldn't. I couldn't remember the exact music, otherwise I would have. <laughs> but no, A's across the board, definitely. I think oh, Wilson. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not gonna. I'll give it an A mine. No, I'll give it A's across the board. Uh, A's this awesome. much, much like the movie, I have really no discernible nitpicks to go after of any consequence, which I guess didn't uh, nitpicks by definition wouldn't have consequence, but I have no complaints of any consequence. I, I think it's, it's one of those things where you'd really have to look like my, my nitpick was just something I found funny, which was the sanctioning of Thanos. I mean, it was just it was just a weird turn of phrase to me more than anything else. It's like, okay, that's that fits for the character, but that's still really weird to read in this context because everything before that was so uh, Shakespearean almost, you know, where, where everything's on this grand level, and now we're 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 talking talking in terms of of executing a head of state. 
and that's kind of weird. But but beyond that, I mean, you can read it on its own as a as a six issue story, or you can read everything leading into it and all the crossovers. And I think what you have is the difference between, you know, a really good dinner and Thanksgiving dinner, you know, where this was a really satisfying meal, but Thanksgiving you have all the trimmings. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good analogy. And I can't, can't argue with you. I, I just, again, I think this is just one of the best ones. And I don't think us having discussed what went on in it would be any real reason to avoid it. I don't think I don't think it spoils the actual reading pleasure of it to know where it's going to go. Which have you if you've seen the movie you might know some of the stuff where it's going to go anyway. But I, I think yeah. when you, when you see it developing and you read it through page by page, it's just you know, it's it's not the destination, it's the journey. Mhm. And I think this is one of those cases. And I think the destination ends up being very satisfying. But the way you get there is is what truly is uh, enjoyable about this series, and I'm really really glad you asked us to do this, Mike. Oh wow, well, it was it was my pleasure, and it's it's it, I mean it seems kind of like a no brainer, uh, almost obvious really, but I, I think you know like the film itself, it, it's it, it's weird to talk about because there are so few negative thing, if any negative things to say about it. I mean, and, and, and you don't get that in comics very, very often. It's, I mean, you, you have like runs that are fantastic and you have certain stories that are memorable, but I think it's, it's rare to have everything work exactly the way it needed to. Uh, and, and for the creative teams to pull that off. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy, all rights reserved. Each and every month, the Two True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available. Inquiries may be made via email to twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. This is bullshit. <laughs>